You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. It was a very exciting day, Dan. Very today, exciting. Yes. Today was when we're recording this, which is the past for people listening, but mm-hmm. what happened today? We got my father-in-law an appointment to get his vaccine. He had been struggling trying to get one. And I just happened to be at CVS. CVS was giving vaccines in New Mexico. And so I was able to get him an appointment for the next day. And so today he has got his first shot and he is absolutely thrilled. And it was really kind of cool because... I know that he was really kind of struggling a little bit frustrated the, with the way that it, the rollout had been going. It was great, my wife and I, to, to help with that. The pandemic has been such a social studies issue. I, I think sometimes one of the hardest things being a social studies teacher is that we have these very full curriculum, right? Mm-hmm. Curricula that, that take up a lot of space and time. But gosh, the pandemic, um, you know, how it spread, why it spread, the history of past pandemics, right? And how we respond, which is so much of what social studies is, is supposed to be about. You know, you could focus a lot on like our response to the pandemic is a real problem of democracy that social studies educators should be addressing in their class. In the beginning, there was a lot of just a lot of general confusion. And you know what? In all honesty, I don't feel like that confusion has gone totally away. And I wish that it did. But it does feel like there's still being, you know, people are, are, are confused about what's going on and for a social studies classroom, I think a lot of the pandemic also has been politicized. And one mm-hmm. of the challenges with the pandemic is thinking about, you know, how do we talk about not just what the facts are, but what we should do, right? And there's been so much scrutiny on how different different leaders have responded, how the different states have responded. I was just reading a really good blog post from one of my uh, favorite people to, to follow during this pandemic. Uh, which was a social scientist. Her name is uh, Zainab Tufechi. I've probably mentioned her before. I'm a big fan of hers. And she had a great post today that really focused on what we would consider either um, our motivated reasoning or our confirmation bias. And she was talking about the case of Florida. So Florida has been, and, and Governor DeSantis there have been like highly criticized for kind of failing during the pandemic. And so there were some recent articles that came out that showed that Florida had undercounted the number of COVID deaths that had happened oh, no. in their state. Oh no! Um, and so people who held, who politically believed that DeSantis was doing a poor job immediately kind of pounced on that information. And you saw a lot yeah. of headlines focusing on that. Well, the study that that came from actually did not indicate that Florida had done a worse job of counting deaths than other states. And so Zainab Tufechi in her post really pointed out about how this was really an, an example of motivated reasoning showing that um, it's a complicated case, right? And of course, the reality is that the way that states respond is only part of how a pandemic spreads. And so she was just pointing out that people have a real tendency to always point the finger that other people have motivated reasoning, other people have confirmation bias, but we often don't look about when it happens ourselves. And she thought that was an example of where people needed to look a little bit harder at the data. And I think these things are really important for social studies classrooms because they make it hard to discuss controversial issues with each other. I feel like there is like two methods right now. So if you're gonna be talking about COVID response and and, and how it goes, you can either uh, not do it, right? You can totally ignore it, or you can steer into the skid 
and try your best to talk about, I guess it is a controversial issue. Of course, it can be difficult. I mean, both options have their pros and cons. Um, and so I wonder if we can talk more about how to do it better. And we've talked about this a lot in recent podcasts, right? We had a guest a couple... <laughs> we had a guest pre-pandemic, which seems like a million years ago. Anything oh that goodness. happened before the pandemic, it feels like at least a decade ago. But it was only August 19th, 2019, when we released a great episode uh, with a guest that we're inviting back today to help us dig back into how we can teach controversial issues. So welcome, friend of the pod, back to the podcast, Dr. Judy Pace, welcome. Thank you so much. Good to be here with you again. We are thrilled to have you back. We are. And for those that have not listened to episode 123, Contained Risk-Taking When Teaching Controversial Issues, that was, we had you on to talk about a TRSC article that you have. We're here to talk about even a bigger project today. Can you remind our listeners about uh, your background in education? Sure. I was definitely shaped as an educator by my early teaching experiences in special education in the Boston area and in racially integrated progressive schools um, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I went back to graduate school after several years of teaching at the Harvard Ed School and got involved in school reform projects at Project Zero and became a qualitative researcher. And after that, I made my way to San Francisco and took a position in teacher education at the University of San Francisco. And I've been here ever since. And I've done research on a variety of topics, uh, mostly revolving around democratic education and social studies education and looking at how classroom teaching is shaped by institutional factors and socio-political forces. So as a Massachusettsian, I believe yeah. that's what we're called, you, you, miss, you miss us a little bit. Or is of it just nice I and do. sunny over there all the time? <laughs> oh no, San Francisco, you actually have tremendous weather constantly, right? Isn't it like always 60? Comparatively speaking, we do have tremendous weather. I oh. will admit that. I still have family in Massachusetts and I love to go back and visit, but not in the winter so much. I understand. <laughs> the reason we're having you on today is because a lot of times we've talked about single articles people have done. So they're kind of more narrow in their focus oftentimes, especially when we've talked about controversial issues. But you've got a book. Gives you a little bit more room to explore stuff. And so your new book, which you've written multiple books, you can go check out all of Dr. Pace's books, but this new book is titled Hard Questions, Learning to Teach Controversial Issues. So can you tell us a little bit about this project? Actually, my last book, The Charge Classroom, ends with a provocation to teacher educators. I make this argument that teacher education should do more to prepare new teachers to take up uh, transformative democratic education. And part of that is teaching controversial issues. And what I realized was that we actually knew very, very little about what was happening in teacher education around preparing pre-service teachers to teach controversial issues. So I wanted to contribute knowledge that was missing from the literature from our knowledge base. So I decided to do a qualitative study about four teacher educators that I recruited to be part of this project and how they prepare their pre-service teachers in citizenship, history, and social studies to teach controversial issues. And these teacher educators 
were located in political hotspots, which made things really interesting for teaching controversial issues. I studied two teacher educators in Northern Ireland, which is still dealing with the legacy of violent conflict known as the Troubles, and a teacher educator in the English Midlands, and this was happening right after the Brexit vote, and then U.S. teacher educator in the Midwest. And again, this was during you know the beginning of the Trump era. The book takes us inside their methods courses. I actually went to visit twice during that year, stayed for several weeks and observed their methods courses. And the book describes in great detail how they approached their practice in teaching controversial issues with their pre-service teachers, how they modeled different approaches and engaged their students in learning about this set of practices. And then it follows the student teachers through their student teaching placements, because I wanted to learn about what these pre-service teachers learned from their methods courses that they were actually able to put into practice in real classrooms in schools. And then there's an analysis of the various approaches, differences among the locations, and uh, contextual factors that either supported or constrained all of these efforts. That's the book in a nutshell. The thing you have here that most studies don't have is a comparative sample, right? So you have an international sample here. Very interested right off the bat in just your first and most lasting impressions on the differences in these three different locations. Thanks for that question. I call it a cross-national sample because I don't think I spent quite enough time to really be able to do comparative research, but there were some really interesting similarities and differences. But I would say a major difference was that in the U.S., and again, this is a tiny sample, so we don't want to generalize here. But the U.S. teacher educator put a lot of emphasis on teaching with and for discussion. So she really prepared her pre-service teachers to think about the connections between discussion and deliberation and a democratic society. And she had them read extensively about classroom discussion and become metacognitive about how they were practicing that in their own classrooms, what they had observed and what their struggles and challenges and hopes were for classroom discussion. Whereas in the UK, there was less emphasis on that. I mean, they certainly used discussion methods, but there was less emphasis on really focusing on teaching for discussion as well as teaching with discussion. So that was that was interesting. And when I talked with the teacher educators about this, what I heard from a couple of folks in Northern Ireland was that whole class discussion was not part of the pedagogical tradition, that they didn't expect all of the students to participate necessarily, that they wanted there to be crosstalk among students, but they didn't have super high expectations for how extensive it was going to be. And discussion was more teacher-led rather than student-led. And it didn't actually really revolve around students' opinions very much. So there were some cultural differences around classroom discussion that I thought were very interesting. Another major difference in terms of teacher education was that the U.S. teacher education was the only one who actually got her pre-service teachers to practice teaching in their course. So the others did a lot of modeling and engaging their pre-service teachers in all these different discussion activities, but they didn't actually have their students 
do practice teaching with the rest of the class. She gave, the one in the U.S. gave her students multiple opportunities to do that. One factor is time. So in the U.S., there's just more time allotted for coursework. In the U.K., there's more emphasis on what's happening in school placements and more dependence on school staff to prepare pre-service teachers. And that's regulated by the government. Programs are not autonomous in that respect. Those are a couple of differences. So their first time practicing, uh, the student teachers that you observed was in front of the students rather than in front of their in front of their colleagues. That does seem kind of difficult. I like in my student teaching experience to be able to teach mock lessons and to be able to have my small group that we would you know trade off teaching things. I found it very beneficial. Yeah, the U.S. students said that it was one of the most helpful things about the course in terms of learning to teach controversial issues. And the U.K., the Northern Irish and English pre-service teachers actually recommended that their teacher educators do more of that. They would like to be doing that. By the way, I just want to note that I did not actually get to observe the student teachers in their placements. Um, I wouldn't have been able to get access to schools, so I interviewed them after the fact. And I collected lesson plans and, and other assignments from them. So what were some of the takeaways from how the student teachers were implementing some of the ideas that they learned in their methods class, whether they be from the U.S. or from the U.K.? That's a great question. You know, last time we did this podcast, I talked about a grounded theory that I developed called contain risk-taking, and that was about what the teacher educators did to prepare their student teachers. I developed another grounded theory called adaptive appropriation of pedagogical tools, This is based on sociocultural learning theory that was applied to how pre-service teachers learn to teach, and it was explained by Grossman, Smagorinsky, and Valencia in a 1999 article. And what they say is that pre-service teachers learn to teach by adopting pedagogical tools that they learn either from their university courses or from their school placements, and that that adoption of tools is mediated by the different activity settings in which they're operating. So it could be university courses, that's one activity setting, and it could also be the classroom in the schools where the student teach. The challenge is that sometimes those activity settings are in tension with one another. So we know that pre-service teachers learn all of these theoretical ideals about what great teaching is, but then when they get into real classrooms in schools, they're being told something else and they're working under sometimes inhospitable conditions for pulling off these ideals, right? And so their adoption of tools is mediated by these different factors located in these different settings. So what I saw was that the pre-service teachers that I studied actually adapted the pedagogical tools that they learned from their methods courses to fit their students, the lessons that they were required to teach, you know, the curriculum that they were given, conditions within the schools where they were teaching, like timetables that constricted the amount of time that they had for certain classes, and their own teacher identities. So it was really interesting to look at that whole mix of mediating factors, but I was really encouraged by their ability to adapt the tools that they took away from their university courses to fit the situations where they were teaching. I was really impressed by that. 
as a teacher educator who worked with social studies methods students, it's a challenge because a lot of times, for example, their field experiences can be, even our students can be pretty different. We have students in very different districts, very different classrooms. And so you design your methods course around the things that you think would work best and can give them practice. What advice do you have for teacher educators that you learned from this project and, and maybe some of what that's in this book about how we can do a better job of helping to prepare pre-service teachers for addressing controversial issues? I actually have recommendations that I collected from the pre-service teachers. So, you know, for one thing, they said that they all really valued modeling by the teacher educator, especially when it got them to explore issues using practical tools that they felt like they could use in their own classrooms, right? Um, as I said earlier, the US pre-service teachers most valued the uh, rehearsal of teaching, the planning and the teaching of discussion-based lessons on controversial issues with their peers. Other suggestions included having pre-service teachers develop curriculum, perhaps collaboratively, and giving them feedback on that. The second one is giving pre-service teachers opportunities to teach controversial issues lessons and get feedback, both from their peers and from the professor. Third one was having classes dive deeper into discussions of current close to home controversial issues because some of them felt like that was limited to some extent, really being able to dive deep into tough issues. The fourth one was scheduling uh, teacher ed classes to convene during and after student teaching so that they could discuss their student teaching experiences and get support. So that was really interesting because in England and Northern Ireland, they did not have a student teaching seminar that happened during student teaching. We have that a weekly seminar in my program. I know many, many teacher ed programs in the States have that. They didn't have that in England and Northern Ireland, although the teacher educator in England, when I spoke with him after the year ended, he said they were thinking about doing something like that the following year. And then a fifth one was providing more explicit definitions to clear up some ambiguities that some of them had about the meaning of controversial issues and what are the best ways to teach them while addressing developmental and academic differences among their students and um, students' emotional reactions. That's a big one. What I'm hearing, and I, I'm curious if, if this is the way you maybe interpret it, is it made me, the way you described that made me think of, of learning to teach and learning to improve your teaching is really a process that you engage in. And one of the terms I've heard used before is praxis, right? So it's this idea that, that as we learn to grow, we learn new things, but we have to take those into our experiences. And then we continually reflect on those experiences and refine our understandings and our actions. Our ideas influence our actions and our reflections influence how we proceed. And I'm kind of seeing a continual process that teacher candidates need opportunities to see it modeled, to learn about the ideas, but then to practice it and then return to those ideas and get another opportunity. And that's what we know a lot about good teacher professional development too, right? Is it can't be just a one-stop shop. It's got to be kind of, we have to figure out a way to make this a continual process. Is that an accurate way of describing kind of maybe some of the advice that you have? I think that's a great way of describing it. 
but I really want to stress the coaching that they need during student teaching, because inevitably they run into all kinds of challenges. So, for example, I'm thinking about, you know, one student teacher in Northern Ireland who's teaching citizenship. Unfortunately, citizenship is a very low status subject, and typically it's given 35 minutes a week for maybe a third of the school year or even less than that. It's very variable. Every school gets to decide how they're going to how they're going to do citizenship classes. But in his situation, it was only happening as far as what he was able to teach. It was only happening in, you know, what we would call a lower track class. And, you know, the students were, let's say, very resistant to engaging in discussion. And just the behavioral issues were really hard for him to deal with on his own. He needed help with that. Another student teacher really needed help kind of figuring out how to adapt discussion activities to, like I said, a 35 minute period, because as he told me, once the kids get settled, maybe you've got 25, 30 minutes and you've got this really ambitious lesson. He taught this lesson on whether we should censor racist speech on the internet. And he brought in all these terrific resources and they talked about, you know, human rights, conflicting human rights, one being freedom of expression, another being anti-racism. And there was a really good discussion happening, but there wasn't enough time to go as far as he wanted to. So he took like the structured academic controversy format and modified it for a two-person deliberation, which obviously is, you know, a compromise. There was another student teacher who talked about a very, very traditional school culture that he was teaching in, where he got a lot of mandates about what he was supposed to be teaching and how he was supposed to be teaching it. And the students weren't used to having discussion in the classroom, and he wasn't encouraged to do it by his colleagues. So how do you deal with that situation? So Ayami could go on and on about, you know, the constraints and the challenges that they were dealing with. So I think getting coaching in the moment as much as possible is really needed. Another really interesting uh, story was from a student teacher I call Aoife, who identified as Catholic. This is in Northern Ireland. She was teaching in a Catholic school, very, very good grammar school, which is a selective school. She was teaching about discrimination against Catholics in the early Northern Irish state. So this is after Northern Ireland was partitioned away from the Republic of Ireland. And she decided because of what she had learned in her methods course that she really needed to bring in a different perspective. So she asked her students to consider why Protestant unionists discriminated against Catholics. And she wanted them to think about the IRA, the Irish Republican Army and its campaigns and how Protestant unionists felt like they were under siege and they had to protect themselves. Her students were very resistant. And she herself felt like she was betraying her grandparents and her parents who had told her stories about how they had been discriminated against as Catholics. She had nowhere to go with this. She said that the teachers at her school were wonderful, but they were just too busy because schools are very competitive and they were really concerned about their test scores and league tables. And so she was really torn. I think if she had gotten some coaching, she might have taken a different pedagogical approach where she actually juxtaposed different perspectives on, you know, the question, why were Catholics discriminated against? rather than just you know starting with the unionist protestant perspective 
that may have opened things up more and allowed her students to engage. But she didn't have the opportunity to do that. That's what I mean about how important it is for student teachers to get coaching while they're in their placements. Your descriptions, you're having all these flashbacks to my different classes when you talked about like a class that wouldn't want to engage. I thought about a group of students I had who were, were seniors who were very turned off by school. They didn't see it as a place to have authentic discussions. And so it really took a lot of work to think about what that would look like. But this is some of the you know most important work we can do is teaching people not only how to have democratic discussions, but to think through difficult issues and make decisions as a society. It's not easily testable, right? Like how we teach these skills. There's a real art to knowing your context, like you're saying, I think, right? Like to knowing your students. And so there's a reason why it gets pushed out of schools that do a lot of testing. Because this is the end results of this are not easily testable. Like the end answers are not always clear. They're not easy. I assume also it's easy to turn away from this work too, because it really requires thoughtfulness and a lot of effort. And it can be emotionally draining too, I'm sure sometimes, especially when it goes wrong, like that last case. Uh, what advice do you have for teachers and teacher educators to help pre prepare and work with pre-service teachers to navigate all of these challenges? Context matters so much. And that's why I'm actually hesitant to make judgments. Like when I talked about the differences between the US and England and Northern Ireland, I hope that those differences didn't come across as judgments because I think there are some real good reasons for why, for example, discussion, whole class discussion isn't emphasized the way it is in the US or theoretically anyway, because we know that discussion doesn't happen nearly as much as we want it to, even here in the US. So I think, as we talked about in the last podcast, a protective approach kind of really makes sense, especially these days, because as you know, we've been through one crisis after another this last year. And so while teaching controversial issues is especially urgent, when our democracy is threatened by all these forces, it's also scarier than ever. I actually go back to contain risk-taking. I think that that framework offers a lot in terms of strategies for delving into the issues in really thoughtful, critical ways, but also doing it safely and pragmatically. Uh, I think teaching student teachers how to read the context that they're working in, and I find that they're really great at doing it. I mean, my own students, the, the student teachers that I interviewed for this project were really astute about what was going on uh, sociopolitically in these different contexts and, and learning a lot about their students and their colleagues and their school culture in a very short period of time. They were extremely articulate about the context in which they were teaching. So really encouraging that, but also giving them concrete strategies like you need to communicate with students and parents and administrators before you jump into something that's going to be politically charged. You need to start with topics that don't hit so close to home that are a lot safer, like should 16-year-olds have the right to vote? Start with something like that and then work your way over time into more challenging topics. There's all those strategies in that framework help enormously, I think, in dealing with the realities. But then also just like using examples from the book and holding them up and giving examples of how student teachers can adapt to very challenging 
situations, I think, can be encouraging and instructive. And by the way, as I'm telling you this, I'm thinking about a brand new class that I'm going to be piloting this summer called Teaching Controversies. So um, I'm mm-hmm. offering this to graduate students in my, my master's students in the teacher education program, but I'm also opening it up to master's and doctoral students in the entire school of education. And I think I'll have a lot more to tell you <laughs> after I teach that course. Some guys from Massachusetts who have... <laughs> Come on. Hey, it's going to be on Zoom. You're welcome to join. As a matter of fact, I might ask you to be a guest speaker. Ooh, I like it. So Dr. Pace, you're really approaching a tough topic that's easy to avoid. As we kind of finish up, can you make the case for why teacher educators should do this work and where you're going next with it? We all know how important it is. There's the research that shows the discussion of controversial issues in an open classroom climate has really significant benefits for students and society, increased political knowledge and engagement and efficacy and all of that. And obviously we need that. I mean, everybody's been talking for the last four years, even more so this last year, about how we need to strengthen civic education for improving our democracy. And, you know, we've got these new initiatives, you know, Educating for American Democracy and the National Academy of Education has done this big project on civic reasoning and discourse. So, and there's this proposal to Congress for funding a massive effort to strengthen civic education. There's so much attention being paid to social studies and history education right now. There's lots of controversy surrounding it, but we all know how important it is. And I think teaching controversial issues is a big part of that. We really need to be able to think critically about all these questions that we have about how to live together in a democratic society. And this is a really important vehicle for for doing this and preparing young people to take this on. I guess I'm hoping that the book offers inspiring examples of how this can be done in really thoughtful and engaging and creative ways. I mean, the four teacher educators that I studied are amazing educators and human beings And they offer us so much, you know, they have years and years of tremendous experience with this practice. And so I feel like there's some real treasures in the book that hopefully can really encourage and help people take up this work. And we know that pre-service teachers really want to learn how to do it. I've had a lot of interest in this course that's happening this summer. I don't know exactly how many students I'll get, but my colleagues have been telling me that students are really talking it up. So in the words of uh, Jed Bartlett, what's next? (laughs) What's next? Well, as I mentioned, I'm teaching this uh, course this summer, so I'm in the process of developing it, and that's going to be a great project. Um, So I recently got a a new Spencer Research Communications grant. I'm part of a pilot cohort. The aim of the grant is to get research to have a greater impact, which, of course, we're always trying to do. The idea is to get my research findings out to non-academic audiences. And so what I'm doing as part of this project is series of presentations and workshops, podcasts like this one, writing op-ed pieces and short articles, creating materials and resources, putting them on a website. 
and it's turning out to be very busy and gratifying work. So I did a workshop with 45 of our cooperating teachers in San Francisco Unified. That was terrific. Um, I actually last week just did a workshop with a group of educators who are affiliated with Peace Education Hub at the University of Sarajevo. So most of them oh. are based in Bosnia and Herzegovina, several other people from other countries. And that was fascinating. I actually took a trip to Sarajevo a year and a half ago. And I was really interested in, you know, learning more about education in a post-conflict society like Northern Ireland. And it was astounding and humbling and inspiring to meet some amazing educators who were doing incredible work to promote democracy and peace in a country that is still really suffering from the trauma of the 90s war and ongoing ethnic divisions and strife and political corruption and their situation with COVID makes ours look great because they just got the vaccine. They're now vaccinating health workers. The general public still has no idea when they're going to be vaccinated. And there's so many other countries that that country is challenged by. So it was amazing to connect with educators who are really trying to grapple with the legacy of their history and trying to strengthen democratic education in that context. So it was great. I hope to do more work with that group and lots of other people. National Council for the Social Studies, I'm working with some colleagues on doing a workshop with NCSS and some other things too. I was so, a couple of years back. I loved like- Oh, uh, really? I a, yeah, I took a class. It was on, actually it was on the Bosnian genocide. Um, oh my gosh. It was, uh, yeah, no, it was tough, but some, I mean, it was, it was an amazing experience and Sarajevo itself is gorgeous and we were in Mostar and. Yeah, I was uh, too. It's a beautiful, like, it's so interesting. I would love to go back. That sounds so fascinating. I would love to learn more about that. Oh, and I would love to learn more about your trip. That is amazing. It was, it was intense. It was interesting. Uh, we can talk about it uh, after, but it was, yeah, it was a great, it was a great uh, experience for me. Yeah. Wow. What I'm hearing though too, Dr. Pace, is that, I mean, if anyone is interested in doing this work, right, besides just buying the book, you could maybe, they could maybe reach out to you and think about ways that they could um, use these, re this research and ideas in their own setting. I would love that. Really. I welcome that. The more the merrier. Dr. Pace, thank you so much for joining us today. We do appreciate the fact that you spent some time talking with us. I really appreciate it too. Great to be with you once again. So where can our listeners both find your work online, but also where can they find this book and any other resources they need? So right now you can find me online on the USF website, and we'll put a link to that, I guess, in the show notes. I am seriously thinking about creating a website, so we'll add that mm -hmm. if it happens. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Once it happens, we'll get it added. Okay. And uh, the book. So I would say that um, you can get the book from Roman and Littlefield, and there is a discount code for 30% off. So I would highly encourage you to use it. It's R-L-F-A-N-D-F-30. We can put that in the notes too, maybe? 
for people? Yes, we will. Great. Of course, it's available on Amazon, but I know that some people would prefer to buy it from the publisher. Yes, yeah, stand in, in solidarity. Right now, as we're talking, the, the labor uh, organizers, the union organizers in Alabama are taking votes to, to unionize exactly. against Amazon, and they are trying to crush them as a big corporations often do. So very, very thoughtful. We do link it to the, the publisher on the website. Okay, terrific. Thank you so much for joining us today. We certainly hope to continue this discussion online. We will be looking for your new website, which will surely have a great message board where we can all communicate about your books and research and on, on other spaces. So thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Be well, take care. <laughs> At the Vision of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun or creative in education, or you just want to chat, and we get it, we do too, hit us up. We're at Visions of Ed. Sometimes we're on Facebook. And if you haven't already, and really, come on, subscribe to Visions of Ed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere you'd like us to be. And if you really want to avoid controversial issues, Everyone is in consensus that we deserve five-star reviews. So go leave one for us. And if you do, we will read it on the air. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42ThinkDeep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off.